Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. Uh, got a couple of football things to run by you. We're going to hear from Frank Dolce, Utah, uh, former Utah quarterback, our Ute insider. We'll talk college football with him coming up in a couple of minutes. Dylan Colley, also uh, former BYU wide receiver, and we'll talk uh, Cougars with him. Uh, we didn't get to it early in the show for your early risers yesterday, but we spent a lot of time talking about uh, should BYU add another game. And I got to say that when this season started, my thought was uh, yes, absolutely. And that was built on the fact that the schedule was soft, and I thought BYU would rack up a lot of wins. Um, but I really didn't think on this schedule, I think historically in college football, on a schedule like BYU is playing, it's hard to get to 15. It's certainly impossible to get to the top 10. <laughs> you just don't. But, and I didn't know if they'd be undefeated or if they'd have a loss. You know, I mean, it wasn't clear to me uh, at kickoff before Navy, Houston, and Boise State that they were absolutely going to win those games. I never thought they'd lose them all, but I wasn't sure they'd win all three of them either. The other games just like look like slam dunks. And so I didn't think you got that much reward. Now, as we sit here, they're 8-0. They did win all three of those games, and they won them convincingly. And they're eighth in the country. And at no point did I think, you know, by mid-November, I'll bet BYU will be in the top eight. Now, you can sit here and say, is BYU in the Fiesta Bowl? Are they in the Cotton Bowl? Are they going to get a New Year's Six invite? The Sugar and the Rose have the playoffs, so they're not going to end up there. I don't think there's any way they can get top four with this schedule. I think they've about maxed out. If Cincinnati were to stumble, maybe they could climb another spot. Uh, but I think that mostly, you know, they're, they're actually, I think, at risk of dropping in the rankings, a spot or two, if Indiana or Wisconsin, uh, you know, gets rolling. And you can kind of go around. I don't think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have played enough games yet to say how many teams they're going to have in the New Year's Six. That's just a guess. I think you can look at the ACC and the SEC and say they're going to have three teams each. I think if, it, if, if the season ended right now, I think that clearly Alabama would be in the playoff and Texas A&M with one loss to Bama and Florida, who also has one loss, uh, would be in a New Year's Six. And I think in the ACC... Um, Miami would be in the New Year's Six with one loss to Clemson. Clemson would be in the playoff with the one loss to Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, and undefeated Notre Dame would be in the playoff also. So those two leagues have six spots, but the other six spots, uh, you know, the group of five is guaranteed one, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Oregon, as it sits here today, there'd be 10 teams in. But I think BYU would have a pretty good shot at one of those other two berths. And really, when you look around, maybe Oklahoma, but not if they lose another game. Maybe a Wisconsin or Indiana. Maybe a BYU. I think there's a pretty good, maybe a USC. I think there's a pretty decent shot for BYU. I just think there's a combination of teams don't want to play BYU because they don't know how good they are. And uh, teams can't play BYU because they don't have an opening on the schedule. So, and then teams can't play BYU because their conference won't allow it, which I think rules out all the Power Five games. Maybe BYU could get a road game at a Big 12 school. Maybe that would seem to be the one chance, I would think. Uh, I just don't think there's a lot of games out there for BYU. And I don't know what the point is, uh, aside from making more money, of playing a home game with, uh, you know, the bottom of the Sun Belt.
And I don't know what bump they'd get in the rating rankings, which seems to be the only reason to play it. So I'm, I'm leaning towards BYU probably isn't going to play. There probably isn't going to be a game offered up that really makes sense that would elevate them in the rankings. I think as a Cougar fan, over the next month, you will watch college football and college football highlight shows and try to make sure that all the teams ranked between 5 and 15 lose. <laughs> You're not getting in the top four, so who cares if they win? Root for Ohio State to beat everybody in the Big Ten. And root for the Big Ten to beat itself up so that they get one, maybe two teams in. And, you know, if Miami could uh, gag away a game or two or Texas A&M, that'd be a big plus. That could open up a, open up a bid, too. It's a, it's a weird, wacky year. I didn't think a month ago that BYU had any chance of getting into a New Year's Six Bowl game. But I have, uh, I have opened myself up to that possibility over the last month, partly because of what BYU's done and partly just because of the way it looks like things are shaping up. I think the Big 12 is beating itself up and down to zero play, almost down to zero playoff teams in one New Year's Six team. They're not there yet. I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State each have to lose again. Uh, but if they do, <laughs> then they're there. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk Cougars with Dylan Colley and a little later in this hour, Utes with Frank Dolce. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 Zone. Time to welcome in Dylan Cauley, the former BYU wide receiver. Dylan, good morning. Good morning, good morning. How we doing? Good. So as we watched BYU dismantle Boise State and just blow that game wide open in the third quarter, uh, we saw multiple receivers making big plays down the field. Mostly Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne. And PK and I have been debating, this is the best wide receiver combo. Leave the tight ends out of it. This is the best wide receiver duo at BYU since... What would you say? That's a tough... Duo Duo is hard. right? I, I don't remember the last time we had... I mean, statistically, right? When was the last time BYU had even the potential for like let, let's let's say they play even let's say they add one more game to the schedule, right? Uh, and you're looking at three more games. I mean, productivity-wise, if this was a, a real, if this was a ten-game season, these guys are are on pace for what seventy, eighty catches. So I don't remember the last time we've had a as productive duo. I don't. I don't think there has been in the you last twenty years. DJ? We had gone. We had gone with your brother. Uh, Two thousand four. Austin had fifty three yeah, catches, Watkins. right, for seven hundred seventy one yards, and Todd Watkins fifty two catches for one thousand and forty two yards, and that was that was what we came up. The two of them eighteen hundred yards, hundred and five catches, and fourteen touchdowns combined. It's been yeah. a while. It's been a while. This is elite. Years. Yeah, this is elite wide receiver play for BYU. This is this is really top shelf stuff. You know, it, it's come a long way since uh, two thousand 
18 when I led the team in touchdowns with a grand total of three. <laughs> <laughs> Little upgrade. Two of which happened in a bowl game. <laughs> Good, not great. Good, not great. Yeah, that's a real startling statistic you put out there. Uh, right there. Yeah, when you look at all these receivers, they don't include the tight ends. Like with Rex, he's he's surpassing what tight ends have done, but just blowing by tight end touchdown receptions in the last several years. So obviously the passing game is clicking. And the, and the receivers, you know, they deserve a lot of credit. There's no question about that. Uh, but I think the credit, if we're going to assign – uh, a distribution of credit. I think it starts with obviously with Zach Wilson and that bowl game. And then we brought it up before, but I saw you brought it up on Twitter where you said afterward that uh, Zach Wilson is going to go down as one of, if not the best. And then you put out on Twitter, uh, "Am I uh, am I allowed to bring this back around?" Because somebody put that out there. And so my thought for you, it's sort of separate in a way from BYU football, but it was such a bold statement. And I'm wondering, like, when the Colley family gathers for Sunday dinner or Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, does the whole family just try to one-up one another with by making bold statements and then the bar gets raised? And see who can make the next bold, more bold statement and so forth and so on? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like we've done an okay job at keeping it uh, at least, you know, rattled down enough to where it wasn't until we actually, you know, had – at least a 90% really good feeling, right? I think we stay away from things that are more than like 10, 20% risk uh, to be able to come out and make some claims. So, but yes, it, it generally is. It generally is just kind of hot take after hot take. And when, it, when, it, when it's just all of us, right? I, I think we all feel uh, that we're, each one of us is right in our own way. <laughs> is this and the is, other is just way wrong. <laughs> you're not just wrong, you're extremely wrong. <laughs> now now does mom does mom cool all this down? Because in, in my family growing up, behavior was very different when mom was around. I had three brothers <laughs> and, and dad. It was just the, the rules were just different and we all knew it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, she she tries. She is the She'll throw in. She'll throw in a few good ideas. Let's just say that. <laughs> when you look at these receivers, uh, obviously they're just playing so well. Uh, how much do you think that their ability to play? Obviously, it's based on experience, but I'm wondering how much of their ability to get open now is because of the tight ends, it's because of the running game, and it's because of uh, Zach getting time to throw. So my point being, you know, ultimately it's a team game. When you talked about a couple years back when you were having the team lead with three, maybe you didn't have all that, and now you have these other components that are allowing these guys on the outside to flourish. At one hundred percent, and you can also you can also include the defense in that, right? It's uh, you look at right. You look at the reason. It, it kind of goes back, and you know we can talk comparison or whatever. But it, it, a fundamental basis is this: when an offense or defense is producing in the way that BYU is currently, right? For instance, a defense. 
when the defense can put them out, the amount of pressure, and you know 100%, right, that the defense isn't going to give up a ton of points, the ability for you to play a very aggressive offensive game uh, is kind of wide open. And that's not a luxury many teams have. Uh, you look at the, you know, a, a huge part of why the Indianapolis Colts were so successful when Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis were on the defensive line, right? Because you knew that that pressure was coming. So when you have guys on the defensive line, the Kyrus Tongas, right? The Zach Dawes, um, you have the linebacking core that you do and you have the safety play. I mean, if you look at what the, the way Troy Warner has played, in you know uh, this entire season, it, it's been absolutely unbelievable. And so, when the offense can trust that, and guys like A. Rod as the positive passing game coordinator can trust that, hey, we can throw. You know, I, I don't even know how many times Zach is throwing the ball down the field. Uh, it's it's unbelievable, right? And the a huge part of why you can do that is because of that defense. And then you start to look at okay. How's Isaac Rex playing? Unbelievable, right? The kid has, what, eight catches for six touchdowns? Um, you look at how, right, Algier and, and Pini Cattell are splitting uh, carries and, and where they're at, right? Like, you can't just keep your mind on one person as a defensive coordinator uh, against any of these teams, right? And so it's a huge, huge success when everyone is clicking on all cylinders, and then you even throw in the, the special teams, right? And so it's a, a huge confidence for everybody, and you're able to really dominate a game and, and play in that aggressive manner when you can trust every facet of the game. Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Now, it, it's kind of a football cliche about wide receivers having to block, and, we, and we've talked to you about that. But they did a good job on the 86-yard touchdown run and coming back from break and showing how, you know, I think it was actually a tight end in this case, but go downfield, make that block 10 yards downfield, and, and spring a guy. How you, you played for different coaches at different schools. Is that mm-hmm. how much of that is consistently taught, and how much of that is lip service? And you know, you, you see a reporter with a camera coming, so you start blurting stuff like that out to me, but it's not really true. <laughs> no, it, it, and when you have a good receiver coach, um, and and I did have right, I, I did have a fair share of good ones. Um, you you have guys that it doesn't matter what happens it, when that film turns on, right? If there's a big if there's a big touchdown run or if there's an eighty yard run right that gets stopped ten yards short as a receiver, you better believe right that you need to be downfield right whether it be getting hands on guys or or setting what you call a high screen right or just getting in the way of people, you better be step for step with that running back and if not right then it will get brought up in film, uh, and and you're going to be called out for it, and and that effort will be continuous. And someone like Fessy, who you know, a lot of your play is based off of your effort and execution, and he tells you that from the very beginning, and he is someone that will point that out on a very very regular basis. If you're not downfield making an effort for the running backs, right, then you can't expect 
the running backs to be there for you in pass protection, right? You can't expect other teammates to be there for you when you need a play like that. So I, list service, I, there's, there's not a lot of it. You think Romney's NFL caliber? That's a good question. Uh, I, I physically believe Gunner is, is NFL caliber. I believe that he, uh, there is a smoothness, right, that uh, he needs to work on um, in, in terms of his route running. But when it comes to physically, uh, you know, as a, physically and, and his ability to go up and get the football, um, you know, I would love to see Gunner go up uh, stronger with his hands um, and catch it as, you know, highest point, right, in a lot of situations. But when you've got three guys on you, right, and, and you're making the plays that Gunner's making, I believe that makes you pretty, pretty NFL caliber. Yeah, because I see some similarities with your brother and him. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is a tough comparison, right? You, you look at you look at the way that Austin ran routes um, his senior year, and you look at the way you know. I, do I think do I think Gunner's a fourth round pick? Not quite, but he also has one more year, right? I mean, we look at we look at what Cody Hoffman did. I think Cody's probably a better comparison for Gunner. And Cody's one of the greatest receivers at BYU, right? Like it's between. I, it's hard to not put the comparison between wide receiver play between my brother and Cody. So, what does Gunner have that Cody has, and why Cody and not your brother? What's the what's the separation there? The distinction? Uh, I would go off of more so the size factor, right? The body makeup. Um, Cody. And Gunner are very, in terms of legs, in terms of arms, uh, are very long, right? They're both long players. Their strides are very long. The route running is very different when you have someone that is, you know, has a much longer reach, has a much longer gait than it is for someone who has, right, a, a shorter gait. And so sometimes, and now this is like, you talk about what Gunner's done this this year in terms of the amount of balls that he's caught, uh, the amount of plays that he's made, right? He's played unbelievable. When it comes down to the nitty-gritty of, uh, of a receiver, it is a little bit more difficult, right, for a receiver who is longer to run routes in a way that, you know, uh, in a way that works with, you know these top caliber defensive backs these days, right? When you when you're going against guys who are dropped are literally, you know, dropping their hips and changing direction on a dime, right? If you're six foot one but you're long, you better be able to get in and out of your breaks, unlike anybody else. So but I'm that's wondering a long conversation. <laughs> I'm wondering how much of it is it goes beyond the physical skills, and I don't know Romney well enough. I mean, I, and I was down there every day working for the newspaper when your brother was playing, so mm-hmm. I got to know, not that I got to know him personally, but I got to know him 
as a football player. And to me, he simply was not going to be denied. And whatever it was going to take, he was going to do. And I identified that with him as a freshman. I mean, when he was just Mm -hmm. a pup. And it was clear to see he had the skill, but he had the attitude and all that other stuff. How much of that is the factor? That's a, that's a huge part. And I think we've talked about this before, right? It, it's, you know, like on defense, having that right screw loose and on offense, knowing that you, you know, that you're capable of doing it. There is a very, very specific reason why uh, Austin had such a phenomenal relationship, right, and, and was so uh, compatible with Peyton Manning for four years or however long that was. Right, like that's not he, he doesn't have like a normal like that's why that's why it's such a hard comparison, right? Because he doesn't have like your normal mindset. He's right uh top tier, right? I mean you take out the injuries, he's a top tier athlete. He led the NFL in multiple categories prior to getting hurt, you know, for for six, seven straight weeks, you know, for a third of the season. He was statistically the best receiver in the NFL with Peyton Manning as his quarterback. And so um, that's why it is, it is a hard, hard comparison. When it comes to Gunner, Gunner is a silent killer, right? I genuinely believe Gunner does have that confidence. You won't hear about it, right, um, because he just goes about his business. But uh, he is one of the most humble yet, right, strong, uh, strong-willed, confident, brilliant, um, receivers out there, and and that's that's a huge part of why he has been so successful. Hey, let's go big picture here. It's a it's a question we've been knocking around with our listeners. Uh, if you were Tom Homo, would you add a game at this point, or you've gotten so much mileage out of these first eight wins? BYU's ranked in the top ten. They look like. Based on ranking and the hype they're getting, the fact that they're exciting, good quarterback, throw the ball, they look like they got a good shot at the New Year's Six. Would you want to add a game at this point? Or at this point, would you say, hey, win the last two and let's go to the Fiesta Cotton and we're good to go? I, I, I say add one. I say add one if you can. And I'm not sure if that's me thinking in, in terms of Tom or me thinking as a fan. Um, but... I would love to see one more game against, you know, and I'm not asking for a freaking, you know, power five, right? But I'm asking for uh, a good, a good football game that you can put in between the the directional Alabama game. Is it uh, North Al- North Alabama or South Alabama? North. North. Okay, so against against North Alabama and San Diego uh, State, because I think I think that's a very very difficult. You're going from the second week of November all the way to the second weekend in December, right? That is a huge, huge difference and a lot of football you're missing out on. And if you could play one more game to kind of stay, you know, stay tuned, um, that I, I think that would be critical. Right to not only their success for hey let's talk New Year Six let's talk about playoffs but let's talk right how are you going to play against San Diego State because although they did lose to San Jose State this last weekend 
right? They're still a tough football team. And the last thing you want to do is get caught slipping against a team like San Diego State. So I would say add one, preferably Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you could add that, that that would be awesome because that would shut up everybody if you beat them. It just doesn't seem probable. And I don't know beating another dog – the dog is too strong, but beating a team that you're expected to hammer, it seems like it's been there, done that type of thing. I do think, well, you know, North Alabama, they're going to, you can combine North and South and throw in Central and they'll still hammer all those teams. <laughs> I, I do think that it, it's unfortunate to an extent, but it is in the world in which we live with college football. I think uh, if they get the opportunity, they need to administer a beating at San Diego State the way they did Boise. And if they put another 45-50 on them, I just just think it's going to be hard to keep this team out of a New Year's Day because they're going to have such momentum, and they're going to be a fresh story, and people want to see fresh stories. Yeah. No, I I 100% agree. There's nothing I hope for more, right? And and that is why – that's really the only reason why I want to see another game added, right? It's not necessarily for the ranking aspect of it. It's surely for the football aspect of it, just to be able to get them one more even decent, right, football game so that they can go into San Diego State. There isn't this, you know, they've played one football game in two months by the time the New Year's Six comes, and you're kind of talking fresh start, fresh season, it's difficult to go into an SEC, right, ACC football game and have only played one football game in two months. I'm 100% on board. Like, there's, I'm 100% deserving of a New Year's Six and even the conversation of a playoff. I just want them to play as many football games as possible so that there isn't this big lull in between November, December, and January strictly for preparation. Dylan, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in with us. We'll talk to you again next week. No doubt. There's former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Frank Dolce, the former Utah quarterback, next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJP get brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time now to talk Utah football with Frank Dolce, insider for the Zone Sports Network, the former Ute quarterback, broadcaster. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Morning, PK. Hope you guys are doing well. Great. So I was uh, pretty excited for a big weekend of football and the Utah-Arizona game, and then uh, Lucy pulled the football away from Charlie Brown, and I landed flat on my back. Should I try to kick the ball this week, or should I dial down my expectations? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think we'll, 
I don't know. I, I'm going to approach each week with the same kind of enthusiasm and then just deal with the disappointment if it's canceled, I guess. Um, I, I, the way that the Pac-12 has managed this, I, I mean, I, I wonder if we're going to see a team in, in, on either in the South or the North, maybe both, that ends up with a three-game season. Um, it's not, it, and, and there's no leeway, like you guys have mentioned plenty of times, to, to make up for lost games. So I, I just think as we look back on this a year down the road, maybe sooner, we'll just say this, well, this was kind of managed funny by the, by the Pac-12 and didn't give the teams a real opportunity to get out and compete. Yeah, I can see that scenario happening. It really calls into mind, as far as me, the legitimacy of an actual conference race. If you're only playing three or four games, I don't see how you could declare yourself a winner of anything beyond those individual games. No, I I think by the by by the way this is occurring, the, the Pac-12 has just removed themselves from any sort of you know conversation about playoffs or I don't know even bowl games or whatever else is going to to occur just just because you're not going to have enough I mean it is a, it is a weird year so you have to take that into consideration but but I don't know how you do that with a team that that has a you know maybe a three or four game schedule under their belt and that's you know maybe they go maybe they go four and0 or whatever it is or but but I, I just don't I, I think by the way that they've managed it, they've they've removed themselves from any postseason conversation. Five and O Oregon, ten and O BYU, Fiesta Bowl January second. Are you in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean <laughs> absolutely. Uh I, I think that could be I mean that is as compelling a story as anything else, isn't it? I mean you take a because both sides would be screaming about it, you know. Uh, an undefeated BYU team saying, hey, we have 10 games under our belt. We are clearly the superior program. And Oregon is saying, you know, well, even with five games, we'll, you know, we're going to show you what football is all about. So, I, I actually, now that you put it that way, that could be a compelling match. And I love to see, you know, you know, a two-win Utah because they only had two games on their schedule. Take on a ten and zero BYU and some bowl game at the end of the year. Oh yeah, man, that would be sweet for our perspective, and that's all I care about. Well, not all that I care about. I mean, but ninety-nine percent of what I care about. Yeah, right. <laughs> the other guy, I care. I, I have compassion a little bit, not a lot, but but a little bit. One of the things that. Uh, was cause sort of swept under the rug here a little bit with uh, the game being canceled and all this stuff is the fact that Kyle re-upped for another four years to 2027. Now, if I'm betting, I don't think there's any way he's coaching in 2027, but he has that opportunity. Uh, he talked about it during the uh, his media availability that it sends a message to the continuity of the program. What do you think about that as far as them extending him to the point where he would be 67 years old. Well, it's interesting because I I was always under the impression that he wasn't going to coach or he didn't feel like he was going to coach much past, you know, 
his his early sixties. Um, so that's I guess that's something to to consider. I I I wonder if the the inability to coach because of this virus um, has changed his mind about that, and maybe he thought, well, you know, I'm I'm going to coach as long as I can. I know what it's like when I'm not coaching. I'm not I don't like it. So that that could play that could play a role in it. Um, but uh, you know, I think you mentioned something an undertone about the the contract extension that is valuable, uh, especially with with recruiting, and that and that is the continuity of the program. When you have stability, I think that lends itself to to you know going out and finding and acquiring talent. And so, as much as anything else, that is that you know that's probably something to consider with with the contract extension. Is that this is this among all the you know the programs in the Pac-12. This is among, or maybe even, the most stable. For all the stability, there are surprises. And a couple weeks ago, we Kyle at his media availability, which we are live on our show now because he's doing it at 8.30 in the morning. It's a new schedule for him, but nonetheless, sure works out for us. All of a sudden, and, and I thought the U was getting good tight end play at the, at the end of last year. I thought Cole Fotheringham made some plays. Um, yeah. And then the last third of the season, right. Keithy really came on, and it seemed like a guy yeah. who I didn't really have on my radar at all in the early third of the season kind of emerged in the middle, and then the last third he was dominating. So the last thing I expected was for Kyle to talk about a transfer from the University of San Diego, Dalton Kincaid. I had to look him up and get the backstory. I didn't know anything, but Kyle made it sound like this guy's going to be able to get on the field and contribute right away, which surprises me because they already got guys who can get on the field and contribute. What do you know about him? What do you think? What's the backstory? What can you fill in? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think it's, you know, there, it's interesting that he transferred to Utah. Um, and I think he transferred, he may have transferred to Utah just based on last season, what he saw out of the tight end play last season and thought, well, you know, there's, there, that place gives me a great opportunity. I know he's super athletic. Um, I know that Coach Whittingham is very high on him. Uh, <laughs> he's, I, I mean, it's one of those situations where he's going to have to be extraordinarily good to compete for time, stepping, you know, stepping in from another program and, and now trying to learn a new offense and a new scheme with, with a couple guys who are very talented and who have worked under Andy Ludwig for, for a year. Uh, and, and so I, I am, I, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm not shocked by it, but I'm, you know, it raises my eyebrows when when Coach Whittingham gives such a, a glowing report of a, of a guy that's coming into a position group that I put as um, the second most well, th- there's three position groups on the offense that I feel you know are are really well tuned for the season. That's the offensive line. I, I really like the the talent. At the, at the running back position, maybe a little untested, but I really like the talent back there. And I feel really strongly about the tight end group. I think there's a question mark about the quarterbacks 
and I, st- I still think there's a question mark about the the, the wide receiving group. Uh, so, so I put in the top three on the offensive side the tight end group, and so to be able to break into that into that mix, I, I think that's fairly extraordinary. As far as the continuity in the program, <clears throat> who knows what's going to happen down the line? Obviously, but we know that Utah State has an opening, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. I'm of the belief that in the state of Utah, because it's you know, a little peculiar, it's a little different. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't have to be a member of the of the of the LDS faith to, to thrive in this community, but you certainly have to be aware of it and what what it's about. So my point is that I think that it's best for these programs to hire what I call one of their own. Now, Gary Anderson wasn't necessarily a Utah State guy, but he was a state of Utah guy, and he helped rebuild them, and he did rebuild that program. And you got Kyle, who obviously state of Utah. Kalani, obviously state of Utah. Jay Hill, obviously state of Utah. And these guys are having incredible success. So my thought is for Utah State in the short term when they go make their hire, and then in the long term, however long Kyle coaches, to try to keep it to one of your own in this state because you got to know the inner workings of the state in order to be successful. And I realize Urban Meyer took the world by storm, and there's an exception to everything. But even going back to Ron McBride, he obviously had a working knowledge of the state. What do you think about that as far as the so-called one-of-your-own as far as hiring to lead your football programs? I think the state is uh, is unique in, in that way. Uh, and understanding the culture a little bit of the of the state, um, and, you know, I, I I say you know hiring one of your own. Let's just look at a recent example of of Ed Orgeron, who was at USC, and probably as we look back on it, probably should have been the next not just the interim coach, but the next USC head coach. And then USC decided to kind of stick to that program a little bit. Maybe not one of your own necessarily, but one that looks like your own, I guess. <laughs> it was the USC philosophy, and they let Orgeron go. And then he turned out, you know, at, at uh, LSU, and he's done a fantastic job. Maybe not as much this year, but but he's, he's done really well there. So, um I think there's an argument to be made for for that one of your own. We've seen that within the state, um, but at the, at where college football sits currently, I think you just have to go and find the most talented guy available, and if he happens to be one of your own, then that then that works out pretty well. Um, and if not, then then maybe you're just going to get a really good coach anyway. So, I I I still think that that there's this fraternity in college football, uh, and and specifically within conferences that that guys like to if they grew up in a conference and that's where they like to be and that's where their comfort level is and that's where they and and maybe that is just that the culture is why we seem to have this you know success of of people hiring their own is because people just never leave. So you have your own available all the time. That's the call. That's the, that's the culture of college football. But I do, I do agree with you that this, this state is unique and understanding the culture of this state is unique. And that's probably helpful in terms of, of bringing talent in and being successful as a head coach. 
So let's remove out of the realm of the theoretical, which is interesting, but let's get right down to the ground level. Jay Hill's sitting right there at Weber State. He is one unlike anything we have seen at Weber State. Their three-year run isn't remotely comparable to anything else we've seen. Why not go get him? Uh, I think Jay Hill is the is the next big thing, um, for sure. And I, I feel the same way. Why not? Why not go get him? Uh, and. I think it's going to take a lot to, you know, <laughs> Jay Hill has this unbelievable loyalty and compassion for for Weber State. Um, and so I think it's going to take a lot to, to it's going to have to be the re, really uh, the, the right situation and, you know, everything, all the stars kind of align to remove him because that place has been meaningful to him and he's been meaningful to that place and, and to his family. So... Uh, but I do think that Jay Hill is the guy, as I look across the landscape, I'm sure you could go out and – I'm sure they will. They'll go out and find some hot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, some guy that, you know, people are talking about, whatever, and, and maybe make a run. But, but, but Jay Hill, just based on what, you know, the, 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 the content of his character, what he's done at – you know, his ability to influence a program that has traditionally had difficulties um, and the leadership. And I, I just think that there's there's nobody better than than that guy to go and lead Utah State. Yeah, I agree, man. If I'm Utah State, I beg him to come. And uh, the stuff he did with, with Weber was just absolutely phenomenal. And I would see no reason why he couldn't do it at the Mountain West level at Utah State. So I don't know that he necessarily wants it. But uh, if I'm Utah State, I would love to have him. We'll see how it plays out. If Even if Utah gets another game that's uh, canceled, if, say they only play, you know, you, we joked about the, a 3-0 and uh, Utah team playing a 10-0 and BYU team and all that. And I still think, though, that no matter how many games they play, that in terms of next year, given the, uh, so many guys who don't have as much playing experience, I still think there's some great value in this season, no matter how many games they play, to really set them up for next season to really make a strong run Obviously, at the division, but more than that, the conference race and, and, and as a whole and winning the whole thing. Well, there, there's there is certainly value. Uh, it, it's just it's such a strange, it's such an odd year um, that that we feel. I, I don't know. I I, feel, I I don't know how to feel about the the, the football season. In fact. Um, I'm, I'm usually the guy that, that is tuning in to as many games as possible every weekend. And to be quite honest, I may just kind of catch a bit of a game here and there, follow up with it, highlights later on. Um, but the, the whole, you know, the whole college landscape has been, and, and, you know, what society we're going through right now has been so odd that I, uh, I find myself, interested as interested in everything else that's happening as, as I usually am in in college football and I, I I'm guessing there's a lot of people that that are feeling that way so um, it's not that this year is is meaningless and and I and you know I, I'd like to see these conferences and I think conferences have done it 
in, in some ways, you know, figure out a way to get these guys on the field and competing and, and just for the health of, of the kids and for, for our communities. I think it's helpful um, to, to have these, these kinds of activities. So, um, I, you know, I don't know what my answer is to that, to your comment. I, it's, it, it's just such an odd year. I don't, I, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to sit back and kind of ponder this whole thing afterwards. I really don't know how I feel about the whole landscape currently. So I'm kind of ignoring the current landscape and thinking that off what I've read and what I've heard, the Utes have a lot of talent. And it kind of backs up the way the program's been trending. Kyle spotlighted a few guys, a few guys we did see last year. I've heard good things about some of these guys coming in, but we haven't seen anything. So my question is, is three, four, or five games enough of a time period of making mistakes and learning from them, making big plays and getting the confidence like, hey, I'm a playmaker at this level. I, I change games. I make I can get a big pick. I can strip. I can uh, you know strip a quarterback and get a strip sack and and uh, and flip the field. I can score a big touchdown. Getting that level of confidence in guys and eliminating the mistakes that the Utes will be ready to hit the ground running next September. Assuming that that is a traditional football season and they will be back ready to win nine or ten games at minimum and contend for a conference title at minimum, just if they could get three or four or five games under the belt this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I align with that. Um, is, is, you know, Utah went through this, this funny year. Um, it, was, it was right before, it was the year before Coach Winningham took his, his team to the Sugar Bowl. And in that season, it was a difficult season. I can't remember what they ended up. Maybe they ended up with, they were, you know, They were 9-4. and four. I know what you're talking They started 1-3, and three, had a big win over UCLA, but got humiliated and shut out at UNLV, and then went 8-9 and nine and lost, uh, uh, gave up a long pass to Austin Colley on 4th down, 4th and 18, 4th and 17, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah I'm but not sure why stage. you to bring that up. Yeah, it set the stage, yeah. though. So I, I think that adversity, they, and, and they had a bunch of injuries that year. Um, but, but I think that going through that kind of trial really set the stage, like you said, for the following year. And they went undefeated, and, yep. and they had a lot of players coming back, and, and this camaraderie, and, and it, was a, it was a fantastic football team. I still think the 2004 team was a better team, but... but, but but that 2008 team was was really good. Uh, so, so I think there's absolutely something to be said for getting through four or five games if you can, and grinding through it, and and figuring out that you can you can play, and figuring out your weaknesses as well, and building those into strengths in the off season, um, and and not to not to, not not to forget that. You know, there's a there's a handful of these guys that have potential to to make a living, to earn a living playing professional football, and and so these guys need to be on tape. I mean, scouts need to need to be able to see these guys, and so you know, out outside of just the playing a college football season because it's good for kids and good for health and good ment- mental health and everything else. Outside of all that, you know, you're, you, 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 I think you'd want to figure out if there's a way to get these kids, you know, put, kind of put their resume on film. 
And so, you know, there's another reason to try and figure this thing out. And I think, you know, even with the even with the COVID and and the the rising case numbers, we're still seeing, you know, really good signs of supremely low mortality rates in this age group. I think that's very encouraging. And so I think there is some science that says, yeah, yeah, you can figure out a way to get through a, a football season, even if it's half a football season. Well, Frank, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in. Man, these conversations, you know, in the midst of this craziness have been really interesting, even more interesting than they have been in the past. So I appreciate appreciate you guys letting me come on and jabber with you for a little few minutes. Well, we appreciate having you on. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, you guys. Talk to you soon. There's the former Utah quarterback, Frank Dolce. When we return, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.